If you will please take your Bibles this morning to the 8th chapter of the book of Luke. 8th chapter of the book of Luke. We read the text in the, the scripture reading earlier here, verses 4 through 18. We covered the first four verses a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the women that supported Jesus. But again, uh, for purposes of understanding where we are here, the setting here of the, of the message this morning is involved with Christ's continuing preaching tour here. He's preaching throughout the cities and the villages. There, This is early in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we read there in, in verse number 1 of chapter 8. He went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? The kingdom of God is coming. It's invading. Jesus is the king. And it's invading the world. And now Jesus is on a preaching tour. John the Baptist had been on had been doing the same thing, preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. So, verse number 4 here reads, When a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. And the idea here is to hear him. <laughs> they wanted to hear him. And I think this is clear from the admonition which he raises there, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're come, you come to hear me. Now, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. It's interesting that in the book of the Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the, the message is there to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Every one of them closes with that phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, uh, people hear... You have ears. Some people need hearing aids. Some people are deaf. Can't hear at all. But, that, but they still hear because they receive communication. It might be hand signals. It might be reading lips. But they can hear. That, in other words, they can receive information. When Jesus talks about letting, hearing, he's talking about those with spiritual hearing which only comes by the Spirit of God through the new birth. Many people sit in churches and hear preachers preach. But those who have been born again of the Spirit of God have awakened spiritual perception. And they hear. This is what he was doing to the crowds. He's admonishing them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That, so the admonition goes out to you this morning. Do you have ears to hear? Have you been born of the Spirit of God? Have you a, a renewed spiritual understanding? So this warning then was followed by his explanation of why he spoke in parables. First he gave this, the, the parable there of the sower. And then he, which is found there in verses 4 to 8, and in that parable Jesus defined the people who hear the word of God compared to the four types of soils receiving the seed from the sower. They all heard but only one of those of these four types of soil received the word in a way that bore fruit in their lives and that's the key sometimes i've heard pre uh, preachers preach on this particular section of scripture and, and they've talked about how uh, some people are saved, but they don't really grow in the Lord. No, Jesus describes here four kinds of soils on which the seed of the Word of God falls. Only one receives it to bear fruit. 
So you need to ask yourselves, what, where am I in this group? Where am I in this group? Because when he concludes the whole thing, he, he says, take heed or take care, then how you hear. And then notice, for to one who has, that is, who has taken care and then, and as a consequence received much from that hearing, the more will be given. It's amazing to me how over the years is many times as I've read the Word of God, it it never it never ceases to amaze me that I'll see something I never saw before. Because that's the promise. As I have received it, I will receive more. But on the other hand, from the one who has not, and the understanding there is has not received much due to his lack of hearing, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Oh, how many people I've known over the years of my ministry who claim to have been born again of the Spirit of God and today you couldn't tell it at all. Why? Because what they received, they didn't take heed. So even what they had was taken away. So let's get into the parable and uh, notice the explanation here. Jesus taught the crowds who came to him in parables. And I'm interested in how many times people have responded, well, why did, teach, why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, they taught in parables because that's one of the better ways to convey truth to people is to bring it down on their level and use story uh, to illustrate things and uh, make it clear to them so that they can receive the truth. I hate to tell you this, but that is not what Jesus said when the, when the disciples asked him, why do you teach them in parables? Listen, this is verse number 9 here. To you, that is to the disciples, he's talking to now in private, to you it has been given. Notice, it's not something they did. It's something God did. To you it has been given to know the secrets of what? Salvation. No, that's not what it says. The kingdom of God. See, this is all about the kingdom. Who's in the kingdom? How, and how does this work? How does the kingdom work in the world today? Jesus said to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Do you know the secrets of the kingdom? Hmm. But, on the, to the contrary here, for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus says, listen, there are kingdom truths that are known by kingdom saints that we don't want the people in the world to know. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, to, to fortify this understanding, in Matthew chapter 11, there's a, that's one of the more popular verses. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But before Jesus said that, he said, he, he prayed a prayer public, publicly so that the disciples heard it. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. 
from the wise and those who think they have understanding, see? And revealed them to little children. Remember, Jesus said, if you're, if you're a real citizen of the kingdom, you're going, to become, you're going to be as a little child. Yes, Father, he said, for such was your gracious will. Gracious will. Are you one who uh, receives a, as a little child that which the Father desires to let you know in His gracious will? Or are you uh, one who th thinks you're wise and you're understanding and you, you know everything, huh? <laughs> and yet these truths are hidden from you. See, it's God's it's God's good pleasure to reveal His truth to whom He will. And Jesus fortified that in the very next verse there when He said, No one knows the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Hmm. See, this is a hard truth for many to receive. However, this is what the Word declares. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you willing to hear it and believe it? So listen carefully to what Jesus said to the disciples now. And to you, he said, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of this world indeed. In fact, in the last section there of that passage, he talks about the light. No man puts a, lights a light and puts it under a bushel basket or hides it under the bed or puts it in a cupboard or something. No, the reason you light a light is so that it illuminates the room. You can see. Yet how many Christians there are who claim that they have the light, but they hide it. They're ashamed of Christ. You don't do that. Why? Because this, this kingdom of God, and if, you, if, you're, if you're a hearing person, if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you're one of those who has that light. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. I'm coming across 86 last night. I'm not going to tell you how late it was. <laughs> early or early it was. I'm coming across 86 there. And there's a place where you come across this hill and suddenly here's the town of uh, Lyman down there just shining away. You're still quite a, I'm still about 15 minutes away from it, but there it is. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. It's lit up and you can see it. There's Lyman in the darkness. So is the kingdom. The kingdom is a city that's, that cannot be hid. That's why the world hates it. That's why the world hates us. Because we're light invading the darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light because their sins are evil. So we read there in Revelation 11 and verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. Not the Klaus Schwab's. Not the rulers of this world who think that they are somebody and want everybody to be in sub slavery and subjection to them. The, pha the pharaohs and the Caesars. The Kaisers. <laughs> yeah, they all, they all want you to, ex to accept them. But Jesus said the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. 
and he must reign until all of his enemies are made the footstool of his feet. So we read there in, Reve in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, this kingdom that's invading the world comes through the preaching of the gospel. So we read here, this gospel of the kingdom then will, and no, notice it's the gospel of the kingdom that it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then shall the end come. Our bridegroom has betrothed us to himself and now we're waiting for him to come back to receive us, to take us to the marriage feast. But he can't do that until the whole bride is one. And that day's coming. I think it's not too far away. So we read then in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So if you're here this morning and you want to be in that kingdom, repent of your sins, of your own self. Setting yourself up as king. There's only one king and that's Jesus. And yet in the world today, everybody wants to be his own king. I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm a master of my own fate. No, you're not. No, you're not. Repent and believe the gospel. So then when the Pharisees uh, asked about the kingdom, which was, as, as, as we saw it last week there, they believed that it would come suddenly, visibly, and violently. And they didn't, they, they said, Jesus can't be, he can't be the Messiah because we know his parents. We watched him grow up. This, this doesn't fit with our, our, our beliefs. Beware. <laughs> Beware. And Jesus said then in, in Luke chapter 17, when he was speaking to them there, verses 20 and 21, he says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is already in the midst of you, in the person of Jesus. And we say, he's not here. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> he's here in the person of, of the Spirit of God. But the day is coming when we will see his face. Now, now that Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand, the Spirit of God is working through the Word of God and the churches of the living God. So Jesus then redeemed a people for Himself, loving them and freeing them from their sins by His blood and then making them, notice Revelation 1-6, a kingdom and priest to His God and Father. That's what we are. We are kingdom of priests, a kingdom and priests to our God and Father. And we are the light of the world. So, the Word of God then ministered to the people of God by the Spirit of God then is transforming His people. So we read there in Romans chapter 14, verses 17 to 19, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, that rule, and why I think what he's speaking here of is rule keeping. He's confronting the Jews on this issue of uh, what they can eat and what they can't eat, and all of this. And they're all worried about whether pork is in the sandwich or and all. Paul said it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Some people, some people have peace, and some people think that they have righteousness. That it's at least they're, by their own standard, they are a righteous people. They're good people. How many people I say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. But by whose standard? Is it by your standard, or is it by the standard of the Holy Spirit? Some people, well, I'm, I have peace in my heart, and I have joy. I'm happy. Yeah, but is it 
by the Holy Spirit or is it by something else? So then Paul continues, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's the business of the church. So now let's get into the, the sower part here. Who is the sower? The sower is the, is the church. The sower is the people of God spreading the word of God in the world. Preaching the gospel. So Jesus then revealed that there are four kinds of soil on which the seed fall. The word of God falls. The soils represent four kinds of hearts belonging to those who hear the message. Notice everybody hears the message. But some hear the message. You see the difference? Some people hear it, but they don't understand it. They don't receive it as truth from God. Maybe they hear it and are judgmental of it. Some They hear it and put it off and say, that's not for me. Or if they hear it and they say, well, I think it means this. So what, what, what's uh, the problem here is that uh, it's hearing. This is the issue here. It's hearing. Do you hear? And so there's the first soil is the hard soil. It's the path. Notice that's tread by the footsteps of people. It's hardened. The, soil, the seed falls on it and then it just lays on the surface there and it gets walked on <laughs> by those passing by and uh, or it gets taken by the birds. The birds love that. They can nice meal for them, jump and fly right down there and take up the seed and the seed is gone completely. The second type of soil is the rocky soil. This is the soil that has not been properly prepared. It's not been plowed and tilled and the soil and the rocks removed and, and so forth. So it, uh, the seed falls on that hardened or that rocky soil and it says here it uh, grew up, the seed grew up, but soon it withered away because it had no moisture. Just on the surface. These are people who receive the word with joy. It says he, they receive it with joy. Gets excited about it. Oh, I'm glad to hear the word. But due to the nature of their hearts being rocky and hard, the seed may sprout, but lacking the depth of soil, it says there in verse 13, they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, fall away. You know, God tests us. Sometimes brings hard things into our life. I mean, some things are really difficult. You say, where's God in this? He's proving you. He's proving you in the test. And if you, if you really belong to Him, I don't care how difficult the test is. And some people have, let's read the book of Job. Talk about tests. But in all of the, all the trial that came into Job's life, he did not deny his Lord. He did not reject. Even when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He refused and did not sin or blame God for the trial. It says, but they believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. Oh, I have seen that over and over and over again. Those who made a decision for Jesus Christ when they were young, and they grew up in the church. 
But a little trial comes along and boom, they're gone. They can't take it. A third kind of soil is the weedy soil. That's a different kind of person. These are the people who have let all kinds of garbage grow up in their lives. Now they again, they profess to be saved and they, they hear the word of God. But notice here, the, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And as a consequence, the fruit does not mature. Cares, the cares of life, the riches, a job, they fall, they fall away. Then finally, there is the good soil. The good soil is the soil prepared to receive the seed. The rocks and the stones have been removed. The weeds and the thorns have been taken out. The hardness is tilled into a desirable depth. It has moisture. It is prepared for an abundant harvest. And Jesus said, Then some fall into good ground and uh, good soil, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. Verse 15. So what are the warning and application here? Some will only, there's only some who will be really saved. Everyone who is saved is saved because they receive the word of God. They hear the word of God, receive it and believe it. Now, Many here do, do that for a while, but they cannot endure the testing. And as I've said, testing is the means that God uses to prove his own. And so we read there in Matthew 24, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's another problem. Boy, how we have to have discernment in these days. Who is telling the truth? And because lawlessness will be increased. Isn't that where we are today too? The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, here's this is this is the key. Do you keep on keeping on even when it's so hard and so discouraging to do it? You say this is the truth and I will not bend I will not budge. I will keep on keeping on. He that endures to the end, that's the one who is saved. That's, how, that's the ultimate test. And this gospel of the kingdom, he says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then will the end come. Wow. Many church scores there are who prioritize their church habits very low on their life priority list. The cares of the world, their jobs, ball games. That's one of the things that used to frustrate me greatly. You'd have a church fellowship, the men would be gathered together, and what are they talking about? Jesus! Yes, we're going to talk about Jesus together. No, no, the ball games. I, I enjoy ball games too. But they're not high on my priority list. They're not very high on my priority list. Jesus is. Or their hunting trips or their fishing trips. I enjoy I enjoy those things. Their hobbies, gardening, or whatever. It rates far above the hearing of the word of God. Their decisions for Christ then give them false assurance. Well, I made a decision for Jesus. Are you enduring to the end? 
Where's, where's Jesus on your list of priorities? And here's the question. Where's the fruit that's bringing glory to God? If, if there's no fruit, your pew warming is of little worth to the kingdom. Secondly, Jesus then closes this teaching by noting that one lights a lamp for the purpose of lighting the room. The church is the light of the world. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said there, let your lights shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's an interesting verse. Lots of people like to show off their good works to the world so that they can get the glory. They'll be praised and patted on the head for, their, for how they have done some good. But Jesus said, no, your good works should be a light to glorify the Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16, the church. And every believer is that is part of that church is to shine by good works that give glory to God. That is the positive word. Then he gives a negative side of it. Where he says there in verse number 17 of Luke 8, Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. We could give some very interesting illustrations of that today, but we won't for the sake of time. But an awful lot of wickedness in the lives of high-ranking people and politicians and people that are in Hollywood and the media and everything are now beginning to come to light, revealing who they really are. Lot. There's a lot of Christians that have the same thing. There's a lot of things in their closets, and they don't want the, oh, they don't want anybody going back there and open that closet. Don't open the closet door. But I want to. I want to warn you. You can't keep it in the closet because God's going to bring it out. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Preachers that I, I used to have some regard for in the past, suddenly there, something has come out about them that doesn't look good, and, they don't, and there's no repentance. Rather, there's justification. I, I, I want to justify that. No, you can't. A person may try to hide his ungodliness from others. He may try to justify his ungodliness before others. But be warned, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Oh, to have a good and honest heart. To be able to say, you can look at my computer. Go look at my computer. I, I have nothing to hide. I don't have a secret file of pornography. Go look. Because I know that if I did, God would reveal it. So take heed how you hear. See, hearing is part of worship. So I'm going to close here with the duties of worship. Worship, that I see, worship is the primary thing in every believer's life. It is, it must be worship. My life is to be lived in worship of my God through Jesus Christ and through the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And really what Jesus talks about these four kinds of soils is indeed part of this. And he's dealing, in my opinion, with the major one, which is the hearing of the word of God. There are four main duties of public worship. We come together as a people. There are four main duties of our public worship. The first one and the primary one, the great focus of the, of the whole service is the hearing of the word of God. Then second, 
And I think this is second in primary importance is the observance of the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. The third is prayer. When people come together and join their hearts in prayer. And fourth is singing of his praises. If you'll notice, we don't have a band here. And we're not here to entertain the, those that come into the church. We're here to open a hymn book and sing together the praises of God. So, what we're here addressing is not private worship either. Now, I believe in private worship. You ought to have your own time alone with God. Or family worship with your family. That's necessary. But what we're discussing here is uh, public worship. And what, what's interesting here is... Uh, then believers need to understand this, is the Greek word that's translated church in the English, kirk, which, by the way, goes back to uh, the uh, Greek word, or actually the Latin word, kirk, for Lord. It's, it's a derivative of the word the Greek word kurios, the Lord's. In other words, the church is the Lord's. In the English, church English is the Lord's. But, it, but it's a translation of, of the Greek word, ekklesia. We get our English word ecclesiastic or ecclesiastical from that Greek word. The word originally meant an assembly. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus built his assembly after the pattern of the synagogue. Of, that the Jews had to uh, form because there was no temple when they were deported into the, the uh, Babylon and other foreign lands. They, they met together in groups or assemblies, synagogues. And they, and they even kept that up when they came back after the Babylonian captivity. But the assembly, of, but the assembly in the Greek really was a Greek term that reflected the assembling of citizens for the purpose of conducting the business of the city. At city council meetings, when the council came together and people from the community came in to give their uh, word and, and uh, speak about their needs and issues, that was called an ecclesia. So Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. So, what does that say? That tells us that the purpose of conducting the business of the assembly here, Matthew 16, 18, and we would ask the question, what is the business of the church? And I'll tell you the answer. Worship! All the other things come out from that are going out into the world are giving the gospel to others, are supporting missionaries, or any other good, uh, hosting here a, a, a pantry. Those are all good works, but, but that's not the business of the church. The business of the church is to come together to worship Jesus Christ and worship the Father. To be truly identified then as a true church, the assembly must be engaged in the business of worship. This does not discount the importance of mission. It does not doubt the, uh, the or of ministry, the caring for the needs of, widow, of the poor widows and orphans. The importance to worship is to prepare hearts to benefit from the hearing of the word. And there are seven conditions. I'm going to be very brief with these, but it, the first. Uh, two considerations must be addressed, and uh, before before I could give you the seven conditions, two other considerations must be addressed. One, first of all, is who speaks the word. God calls men to speak the word. The guy behind the desk better make sure that he is called of God. That doesn't mean that 
Laymen can't do it, and they do do it. But God calls men to preach the word. And then secondly, what the preacher preaches. Is he just ear-tickling? Is he trying to keep a crowd? Is he, is he uh, trying to make himself popular? Does he use the church as a stepping stone to a bigger church? I'm successful in this church. I'm going to get me a bigger church and then I'm going to eventually have the world's biggest church? That kind of thing? No. So that's got to be considered. But then, uh, would you listen to the voice of God speaking to you from a cloud? And, there, and uh, there's a lot of people, I want God to talk to me in a dream. I want him to give me a vision or something like this. Now, I've, I've talked to God about that. We've had several discussions. I certainly would love to hear you speak to me out of a cloud. I'd love to get a dream. I'd love to see a vision. But he hasn't. Does that mean I'm... No. He said, I, I've given you the word. You got that book right there? Get in that book. I'll speak to you out of that book. Listen to Peter. In first in Second Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen, Peter said, "We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him in the holy mountain when they saw Jesus transfigured, and they saw Moses and Elijah there speaking to him, and they said, Whoa, whoa, we got to build a, a monument here." And all of a sudden, a cloud covers them all over and God's voice speaks to them out of it. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Stop the foolishness. Listen to him. Oh boy. So Peter says, we heard this voice from heaven, but... And I, I, it says and in my translation here, but I think the, it would be better but because it's showing a contrast here. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention, see? The prophecy of Scripture For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, hope, but men spoke from God as they were carried, borne along by the Spirit of God. So why is the hearing of the word important? Paul addressed this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You listening? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So the word addresses the mysteries of God, his will, and his counsels. The word applies to the issues of life. If the word is, a, is effectual in you, then you're saved. If not, you're lost. You're undone forever. It's not a matter. So is this not a matter of supreme importance? Hear the word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, then notice these several considerations that are part of the good soil spoken of here in the parable of the sower. First of all, there must be an opening heart to the word of God. An opening of the heart to the word. This is the word of God. So we read there in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, about a businesswoman named Lydia. A very successful businesswoman. Seller of purple. So that means she was making big bucks. What does the scripture say about her? It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Hmm. She was born again. Secondly, the word must be received by faith. See, one of, one of the things that 
about the visions and the dreams thing is that we walk by faith, not by sight. God promised Israel rest. So we, we read here that the message that they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith with them that heard it. There in Hebrews 4 verse 2. Some might argue, I believe the word, but, I, but must I believe the preacher? Yes. But you have the responsibility... Every believer has the responsibility to examine the message as Berean. The Bereans were those in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, who received the word with all eagerness. But then they were examining the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Don't just believe me. Go check it yourself. And if I'm wrong... Come and tell me. I've been corrected. Three. Well, excuse me. I'm, one more thing here. Don't reject the word because it speaks against your position. And also, do not reject the message just because you don't understand it. I guess that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Lastly, what would your situation be if you did not believe it and it was true? You need to ask yourself, well, that's hard. I don't know if I want to do that. Just ask yourself, what would it be if you said no to it? What would your position, situation be then if, it's, if then you found out it is the truth and I didn't do it? Thirdly, the hearer must have a spirit of meekness in receiving the word. Don't sit in judgment of the word like you or somebody. We, we read there in James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness a humble spirit, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And James is not talking to get people saved with this verse. He's talking to people who are already saved. We are, we are saved in one sense. It's a past done deal with God. But we are being saved in a continuous sanctifying process. And that's what James is addressing. This book here is able to save our souls. Changes. Moment by moment, day by day, make us more like Jesus Christ. Don't you want to be more like Him? Hmm. Then, there's two wrong attitudes here. One is dismissal. It doesn't pertain to me. And second, and worse, is rebellion. I don't have to listen to this. Fourthly, the hearer must humbly submit to the word of God. King Zedekiah of Judah is a, is a good example here of this, negative example of this. We read, He, Zedekiah, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. Johannes Ocalampadius. That's an interesting name. Ocalampadius. <laughs> he was a German reformer. Said this. Let God speak and we will submit. Though we had 600 necks, we would submit them all unto the word of God. Oh, what a good attitude. Number five. The word must be received in the fear of God as evidenced by trembling at receiving it. God declared, This is the one whom I will look to. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2. He who is humble and contrite in spirit 
and trembles at my word. That, that's a man who fears God. When you read the word of God, does it cause you to tremble? Particularly when you see, oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm failing here. Number six, love and joy must be accompanied by the receiving of the word. Many are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians two ten. When you hear the word with joy, according to Proverbs chapter two verse ten, wisdom comes into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Number seven and last, the hearer must receive the word of God honestly and sincerely. For that, we read there in Luke chapter 8, verse 15. For as for that good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. Within, in an honest and good heart. And as a consequence, they bear fruit with patience. With patience. See, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Patience. A good heart belongs to one who has no desire to satisfy, be satisfied, excuse me, has no desire to be satisfied with any form of evil. An honest heart is the one who deals squarely and truthfully with God. He will not abuse the word at all. Amen? Father, thanks for the opportunity to consider your word this morning. Oh, the, this parable of the sower is such a powerful, powerful illustration of our need for this book. For the need for a heart to receive it. For the ability to let it change us and transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ. We know the day is coming when he will appear and then suddenly and instantly in a twinkling of an eye we will be changed and we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. But in, in the meantime, Lord, we are being changed a little bit day by day being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. I pray God that you would do that work in our hearts today. And we praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.